A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Graveyard shift security at a hotel casino. We got called to the top floor of the hotel because people from the floor below were calling in noise complaints. I was the FNG, so I had a trainer with me when we went up. Dispatch told us over the radio that there was nobody registered on that floor. So cool, just a few idiots being idiots. We got up there and every single door on the entire floor was wide open. Anyone who has been to these hotels knows that you can't just accidentally leave the doors open because they close by themselves. They weren't propped open or anything, just open. We asked dispatch if engineering was doing any work up here or had anything going on during the day. After a few minutes, they told us they called engineering and they said no. We just noped out at that point and said there was nobody up there. My sister has been a nurse for about eight years in Southern and now Northern California. Worked in hospitals, named Surge, Tila, ICU, dialysis centers, and now a hospice nurse. She has a few stories from the hospital. Things like children laughing, shadows, patients claiming they saw another dead patient when they had never met. One of the creepiest that she and the other nurses told me 
was about a patient complaining and scared that something was under their bed. He was older and confused, so they didn't think much of it, checked on him, responded to the multiple calls, and just tried to make him feel better. The next day, a new patient went into that room. Another older person, but not confused, and called to complain about something under his bed. They sort of brushed it off again after checking. The next night, a new patient in his 20s and completely coherent called crying that something kept running under his bed. They checked and found nothing, but the patient was in such distress and shaking. They moved him. Happened quite a few other times as well. They never found anything, but that was so creepy to me. Not sure if this is paranormal or not, but we live together now, and she works as a hospice nurse. Every so often, she would scream or idea her struggle or make weird noises in the middle of the night. I'd go to check, and she'd tell me it was sleep paralysis. And explain what happened, that she saw a specific patient in her episode standing over her and growling, crying, or screaming. Always a very scary dream. The next day, that patient would die. Happened about 13 times so far. Trips me out. On 7 July, my friend Glenn and I were at the campground on the Lalala River when we stumbled upon a torn apart gunny sack that had been hung off the ground with potatoes scattered on the ground. We suspected that a local had been baiting Bigfoot in the area. We had been in the same area back in March, but on the north fork of the Malala River, when we heard a scream around 8-9 p.m. and encountered a strong smell. Later that night, around 10 p.m., we heard another scream in the distance and a couple of thuds that we couldn't identify. Around 2 a.m., our dogs started going crazy at our camp on a gravel ridge. Could it be more Bigfoot activity? I wasn't sure, so I contacted Steve Williams. Investigator Steve Williams looked into some recent reports from the lower Molala River area and filed a report about a coal incident of on 18 July. He crossed the Pine Creek Bridge and drove about two, three miles to the gate. About two miles later, he encountered a sour smell that almost knocked him over, but saw nothing. He continued two more miles to a three-way intersection before returning to the area of the smell to investigate further. He hiked in the direction of the smell and about 50 yards from the road encountered the largest black bear he had ever seen. It was the size of a zoo grizzly and was tearing a stump apart. They stared at each other for a moment and despite having a camera, Steve backed up several steps and did what he wasn't supposed to do. Ran like hell. He said that if the bear had stood up, it would have been seven feet tall. Steve said the bear shook its head a few times, back and forth like a dog, then turned and went in the opposite direction, continuing his investigation of a report from me on 7 July in this report. Steve traveled about two miles up Copper Creek and found the campsite I had referred to earlier. It was located about in one-eighth of the mile in the woods past a rock quarry, he was of the opinion that a camper had hung the potatoes to keep them from critters, but had not hung them high enough, and animals had gotten to them anyway. While he was there, he heard noises and met two fellows from the BLM with recording gear and such that were looking for evidence of owls. There had been reports of screeching at night around their owls or Bigfoot.
I couldn't help but feel a sense of excitement as I read the report of Joe Ryob and his wife's discovery near the Nihalem River. As a Bigfoot enthusiast, this was the kind of news I lived for. I immediately contacted Joe to see if I could join him on his next expedition, and to my delight, he agreed. We planned to meet up the following weekend and spend a few days in the area, hoping to catch a glimpse of these elusive creatures. I packed all of my equipment and supplies, including my trusty camera and binoculars, and made my way to the coast range. When I arrived, Joe greeted me warmly and introduced me to his wife. They showed me the tracks they had found, and I was amazed at the size and depth of them. We spent the first day exploring the area, taking note of any broken trees or dug up earth. It was clear that something big had been moving through the area, and we were determined to find out what it was. As the sun began to set, we set up camp near the river. We built a fire and cooked our dinner, all the while keeping an eye out for any signs of movement. We talked late into the night, sharing stories of our own encounters and speculating about what we might find in the coming days. The next morning, we woke early and set out on foot to follow the tracks. We trekked through the dense forest, taking care not to disturb the environment or the creatures we were hoping to find. We came across more tracks and broken trees, and I couldn't help but feel a sense of awe at the power of these creatures. As the day wore on, we heard the unmistakable sound of footsteps nearby. We stopped in our tracks and listened intently, and that's when we saw it. A large, hairy creature stepped out from behind a tree and stared at us with a mixture of curiosity and suspicion. It was a Bigfoot, and it was unlike anything I had ever seen before. The creature was massive, easily standing over eight feet tall, with long, muscular arms and legs. Its hair was dark and matted, and it had a distinct, musky smell. We watched in awe as it moved through the forest, disappearing from sight just as quickly as it had appeared. Over the next few days, we continued to explore the area, catching glimpses of the creatures and gathering more evidence of their existence. We even managed to capture some footage on our cameras, although it was blurry and difficult to make out. As the expedition came to a close, I couldn't help but feel a sense of gratitude for the experience. I had always believed in Bigfoot, but now I had seen them with my own eyes. Joe and his wife had made an incredible discovery, and I felt honored to have been a part of it. I packed up my gear and said my goodbyes, already looking forward to my next encounter with these amazing creatures. It was Elk, season 2021, October, about 6 p.m., and on the Upper Abiquois, Ore and two others were driving slowly along the north-south road, Ore in the passenger seat, when he saw a 12-15-foot creature walking, swinging its arms, crouched, walking in the same direction they were driving. It all of a sudden shot straight out very rapidly and was gone. It was black, very broad, and very stout, like a big tree. Asked how he knew the size, and Ore said he was a carpenter and a good judge of height. Later, Ore took some very good tape recordings of the creatures. A barking, drawn-out howl, similar to many other tapes I've heard, only a much better quality and no barking dogs. I am a police officer in Large City. 
There are housing projects in my sector that house low-income residents and also some suffering from mental health issues. There's an elderly Haitian woman who calls late at night and swears she can hear ghosts and voodoo spirits in her residence. The first time I showed up with my partner, I told her I would go in and speak with the ghosts and close the bedroom for about five minutes, then opened it and she hesitantly entered with me. I told her I asked them to leave and they need her permission to come back. She celebrated and said she could no longer see them and thanked us. This woman is otherwise quite articulate and intelligent and always refuses medical help. She will call 911 periodically every three, four months for similar reasons. And I'll go in with a water bottle with no label and go in and have her point the location where she saw them and I sprinkle some holy water in the area and she thanks us and offers us food. We always politely decline and exit the residence. I was a caregiver in a retirement home for six months at the beginning of the pandemic. We had one patient tie, let's call them Robert, that was mute. So when they called us because they needed something, of course we would just hang up and go to their rooms. I had been on vacation for a week and my coworkers, and I didn't have the chance to go over what had happened while I was away. We had 24 patients for two caregivers, so we would split the unit in half. 12 residents for each caregiver, and we would help the other if needed. So the first shift after my vacation, I was taking care of Robert's unit. Few minutes after I arrived, I got a call from Robert's room, so I hang up, finish with my current patient, and call me walk to the room. When I arrived, the door was locked, which was really unusual since Robert usually leaves the door open. I knock, unlock the door, and open it. To my surprise, the room was pitch black, except the television that was turned on. It took me a few minutes to realize that Roberts wasn't in the room. So I called my co-worker and asked, Have you seen Roberts? And that's when they told me, oh, yay. Hmm. He passed away two days ago. All right, weird, but not the first time that our system glitches like that. And we get a phone call in empty room. I go on with my shift like nothing happened. I had left the door open when I was helping another patient walk to the kitchen. When we passed Robert's room, they said, oh, hi, Robert. I thought you were at the hospital. Welcome back. I was 100% convinced that the room was haunted now. We would get a call from that room a few times a week until Robert's was buried. And after that, nothing else happened in that room. We've also had another patient calling us because there was Mike sitting in his chair every night. Mike was the name of the patient that passed away in that room. They had never met. My brother and I have this campsite about two hours drive out of the eastern side of Melbourne, Australia. A quick run on a Friday night after work to a really, really secluded spot up a logging trail off the main road. The road is good enough for a standard car to handle. And on many occasions, a whole convoy of us would make the trip up for the weekend. This is a really quiet spot, and it would be extremely rare to even have another car come up the road. Other people would use the same spot from time to time. However, you would see the remains of old campfires and occasionally rubbish left behind. But then one time, we found a couple of graves, new ones, two plots side by side, maybe 10 meters away from what you would call the main thoroughfare, about seven foot by three feet wide. 
All the sod had been carefully picked up and then put back in over the top, but there was no mistaking what they looked like, so we started digging with the small camp spade we had. The ground had most definitely been dug up. We dug down maybe two feet on one hole and gave up, I guess. Made a stop by the police station in town on the way home. They went digging, but I don't know if they found anything. They left mounds of dirt up there, so they went looking. Perfect spot to make someone disappear up there if you wander 50 yards out of the main camp. You are in some thick, thick bush. Only way to move around is to follow a wombat trail. My girlfriend got out of the shower and called me into the bathroom to show me the mirror. There was a very strange, distinct handprint placed on the mirror. I lived alone, and she was the only adult that had been to my house in about two years. We each placed our handprints on the sides of the mystery handprint for reference and neither look anything like the mystery print. I still have no idea how it got there. Edit. To address a couple of ideas, I've lived in this house for over a decade. The mirror isn't newly installed. The mirror is cleaned pretty regularly. I've taken many showers and fogged up the mirror and have never seen it. Edit 2. Not the person I bought the house from, but the previous owner. She died in this house. I was watching my neighbor's five-year-old kid a few years prior to this, and she was eating at the kitchen table. She asked me who was that lady that just went upstairs. There was no lady or any other person in the house. It was just another day at work when I heard the news about my old co-worker's passing. He had always talked about going to Mexico for vacation, but for some reason or another, he never got around to it. It was a shock to hear that he had been in a car accident and had died. It felt like a punch to the gut. The fire safety company we worked for decided to send his family a gift, and a few of us decided to attend his memorial to pay our respects. It was a somber occasion and we all left feeling heavy-hearted. A few days later, some of us were hanging out in the office, shooting the breeze. One of the guys was watching the GPS tracking for the work fans. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Just to make sure no one was slacking off, suddenly he let out a gasp, and we all turned to look at the computer screen. There it was clear as day. The recently passed co-worker's van was shown as driving over the Gulf of Mexico, heading straight from Mexico. We all stared at the screen in disbelief, then turned to look out the window at the parking lot. Sure enough, the van was still there, parked exactly where it had always been. We all exchanged nervous glances, not sure what to make of it. Was it some kind of glitch in the system, a sick joke, or something else entirely? From that day on, no one wanted to drive that van. It sat in the parking lot, unused and untouched, as if it was a cursed object. Marine Station in Japan back in 2010-12. I was military police. One night around 2-3 a.m., we hear over the radio uh, any units seeing the light over the water south. It was a marine air station based on the southern tip of Japan. We had no flights coming in or going out that night. Everyone knew there shouldn't be a light flying over the waters. So about three patrol cars met up at the airfield where there was a way better view. Sure as shit, there's a light sitting out over the water, blinking slowly off and on. Some guys tried to say it was a star, so we had traffic control cameras from dispatch zoom in on it. Turns out it was slowly moving out of the cameras. So while by ye, we couldn't tell it was moving, the cameras picked it up. We sat there kind of amazed for an hour before it went away. As we were getting back into the squad car, I took a last look at the night sky and saw a small light dart behind some clouds in a movement that didn't make sense. I didn't tell the other guys, just thought there's no way they would believe me. Months later, I was running on the seawall and stopped to lay down and catch my breath. Again saw a light, watched it drive into some clouds and then disappear. That was around the time of the tsunami in Fukushima. Super weird. I got called to persistent fire alarms being set off in a block of flats that used to be a poorhouse in the 1800s. The alarms would go off three, four times a night at certain times of the year. We arrive and residents are all outside saying they could hear a woman crying. No one wanted to go in as they assumed it was her that was setting the alarms off and she might be crazy. We went up. Yup, sure enough could hear a woman crying. Sounded like the stairwell. Up, we went and walked. Crying get louder. Turned the landing and realized the sound was then below us. It was coming from the top step of the previous flight of stairs. Well, I nearly shat myself. What made it worse was Guess, who has just bought a flat on the ground floor and was moving in the following week. Yup, me. I used to bail through the front doors, past the staircase, and into my flat like I was being chased by wolves. Two years ago, back in high school, my friends and I would go ghost hunting. Whenever we were bored and wanted to be out late, 
We drive around and try and scare ourselves with urban legends and creepy places. We never really found anything substantial, but we had a habit of driving along this old, two-lane road, Riverdale, where most of the ghost stories in our city stemmed. The road is long, narrow, and curvy. It stretches for about 20 miles north and south. Four of us were in the car that night, and as usual, we managed to get a pretty good paranoia vibe going. We had never driven all the way south until the road ran out before, and we decided to do that, then head home. It was almost one in the morning by the time we reached the end, and when we had turned around and began driving back, my friend driving, V, adjusted her rearview mirror and said, I think this car is following us. I thought she was just being paranoid and told her so, and that since the road was one lane, either way, they might just be going the same direction we were. She was convinced, though, saying that the car was staying just far enough back that if she hadn't been paying attention, she never would have noticed. We kept driving north, passing main exits, and the car stayed back. Far enough to see us, but not extremely close. We turned east on a main road that was still several streets away from where I lived, but eventually would lead there. V was still convinced the car was tailing us, and debated pulling into a Walmart parking lot, but I advised against it because it was so late and there were only a few cars there. By now, the rest of us were starting to get worried too, and V hooked a left and went south on a little used cross street that wasn't even paved. The car behind us, which we think was a dark blue Ford Ranger, followed us down this as well, since we were doubling back on the way we came. We were all convinced she was right. We kept encouraging her to speed up, to try and evade them somehow, but we were the only two cars on the road. At the next major intersection, she hooked a right without signaling or being in the turn lane, but the car's headlights stayed behind us. We drove to the next intersection, going right and heading north, worried and unsure of what to do. We didn't want to call the police because we knew this car really hadn't done anything yet, and our state had a curfew for people under 18. We knew we weren't going to drive to anyone's house, though, and in a split-second decision, we turned into a neighborhood, thinking that maybe whomever was in the car was just trying to scare some kids and would leave once they assumed we went to our homes. To our relief, the car turned left into an opposite neighborhood, and we all relaxed. Then, my friend in the backseat turned around and noticed the car had flipped a U-turn and was waiting for us to turn the corner. They had turned their lights off. At this point, the street curved and we lost sight of them. Evie sped up and having watched drive, like a week before, we turned into a Kuehl de Sac, parked in between two cars, and turned off the car. We sat in darkness and debated whether or not to call the police. We decided we should, and as I went to dial 911, we realized we had absolutely no idea what street we were on or what neighborhood we were in. After 10 minutes of doing nothing, we got up the courage to leave and try and drive to the nearest main road, where we wouldn't be blocked in or maybe there would be other cars. As we went to turn onto the street, the ranger turned the corner and stopped as we did. They had been waiting for us. V floored it, hoping to get pulled over or something, and we went 80 going out of there. We managed to head west on a main road and soon. When we had driven for minutes, speeding, we saw other cars and people. I don't know if that car followed us out of the neighborhood or not, or what the person or people inside planned to do. But they were willing to follow us 
to what could have been our houses, and I'm sure that if VA had never noticed them, then they would know where we lived. I've never seen that car again, but I'm always a little paranoid when I drive late at night by myself. Ever since I started studying the Bigfoot phenomenon four years ago, I've been fascinated by the countless theories and stories surrounding this elusive creature. One such theory that caught my attention was that Bigfoot was said to eat skunk cabbage, Lasicatum americanum, in my fieldwork near Malala in Estacada. I examined several skunk cabbages, hoping to find some evidence that would support this theory. However, all I found were signs of insect consumption. Nothing that would suggest Bigfoot or any other large animal had been feeding on the plants. Despite this setback, I remained determined to find evidence that could shed light on the eating habits of Bigfoot. Recently, my efforts seemed to have paid off when Frank Kinister, the director of Bigfoot headquarters in Colton, Oregon, mailed me several photos that offered promising evidence. The photos taken on June 14, 1995, near Molala, showed skunk cabbage leaf stalks that had been freshly broken off at the base and arranged across small six-inch logs, as if to be dried. Although the photos were dark, they were enough to rekindle my excitement about the possibility that Bigfoot might indeed be utilizing skunk cabbages as a food source. I couldn't help but wonder what other secrets these enigmatic creatures might be hiding and how much more there was to learn about them. With renewed enthusiasm, I decided to venture back into the field near Molala and Estada to further investigate this intriguing development. As I carefully examined the area where the skunk cabbage stalks had been found, I realized that something had indeed been using these plants. But whether it was Bigfoot or some other animal, I couldn't be certain. However, the discovery of the broken and arranged skunk cabbage stalks had provided me with a new clue in my ongoing quest to unravel the mysteries surrounding Bigfoot. I was more determined than ever to continue my research and hopefully one day find the definitive evidence that would prove the existence of these elusive creatures. As I walked through the dense forest, I couldn't help but feel a sense of awe and wonder at the thought that I might be sharing this space with a creature that had managed to elude human detection for centuries. It was a humbling reminder of how much we still have to learn about the natural world and the incredible mysteries that lie hidden within it. And as I continued my search, I knew that I was one step closer to uncovering the truth about Bigfoot and the enigmatic skunk-cabbage connection. I was hunting on my uncle's property in southern Kentucky near Daniel Boone. In the summer of 2011, he also had a good-sized pond down in the very woodsy part of his 60 acres, and I set up some fishing poles at night, rigged to land some catfish. It was about a 20-minute walk from camp to the pond, and it was a pitch-black night. Also, very quiet. Specifically noticed a lack of critter noise, including insects. I walked down through the field, and reached the pond which sat up against miles of forest. My only light was my headlamp. As I was reeling in one of the poles, I must have spooked something and heard an enormous splash, and something let out a massive wailing or grunting noise and crashed through the forest. It was seriously so loud that it rattled my chest. I dropped the pole and hauled ass back to my camp, 
full-on fight-or-flight mode. When I told my uncle about it, he looked petrified and talked about how he is convinced a Sasquatch lives on his land due to similar occurrences he has had. All I know is that it scared me so badly to the point that I haven't been back. I've backpacked and hunted all over. I've never experienced anything like those noises. Almost a year ago, I was an opener at a resort, clocking in before 5 a.m. each day. The resort is located inside of an affluent neighborhood in a very wealthy town suburb. Employees had to park in one of two parking lots at either ends of the property. And the lot I chose was adjacent to a long and windy road outside the resort which lead to the rest of the neighborhood. The road and resort were separated by a short range of brush and trees that no one ever walked through. I'd arrived one morning per usual and put the car into park with my headlights still on. The lights in the lot weren't ever on in the morning since no one else really showed up before 6 a.m. when the sun was out, so it was usually always dark at the start of my walk, save for security. I was one of the first employees to arrive on the property each morning and was usually completely alone in this particular parking lot at this time. This morning didn't seem any different. I had my hand literally at my keys, my brain in the process to turn off my car when I noticed a young girl, maybe like 14 or 15 years old. Come scampering her body language was the exact definition. Run with quick light steps especially through fear or excitement, through the span of trees that separates the resort from the outside rope. She was directly in front of my car, and my headlights illuminated a clear view of her in the pitch black. She looked like she was in high school, had long blonde hair, and was wearing a jacket with pajamas maybe, like she'd just walked out of a house. One thing about her that bothered me was that she wouldn't stop laughing and smiling. I couldn't hear her laughing from outside the car, but she was visually giggling at something I wasn't aware of or could see, and it was so unnatural. She occasionally glanced behind her as if someone else were there, wading away from the headlights. She then waved at me like it were a normal gesture at this time, and then immediately ran to my passenger side door. This all happened in a matter of seconds, and I wasn't really sure what was even happening besides my anxiety spiking. I know I simultaneously yanked the owl from my phone to shut whatever song had been playing off while grabbing for the lock button. I remember feeling panic for never remembering if it's up or down to lock, when the girl began pulling violently and incessantly on the door handle on the passenger side. I realized because I didn't turn my car off, it stayed locked. She began pounding on the window, and I was screaming at the top of my lungs for her to leave before pressing on my horn. I could see her laughing outside like this, or some type of game, as if I were a silly friend not letting her in as a joke. After a few seconds, she stopped the pounding and trying to open my car door. Her face fell flat like I disappointed her, and she started to walk away from my car back the way she came. She waved at me again before squeezing through the trees, out of the view of my headlights. This whole encounter confused me almost as much as it scared me. Most people I told the story to just chalked it up to her being on drugs. But that narrative hasn't felt right to me, despite her behavior. Maybe she was just being an extremely out-of-touch teenager whose parents need a firmer grip on her. My first thought was possibly human trafficking, but I'm not sure if that would fit this scenario as I'm not the most well-versed 
with the subject. I told someone when I made it to LP, but they didn't seem to care much. I didn't call the police, and I regret that. I'll never get out of my brain, though, how messed off the feeling was watching a stranger, seemingly alone, pop out from the trees in the darkness laughing, and then try to violently enter your car in an empty parking lot. I do think the possibility of someone else being present the whole time is a lot more scary. And I wonder who else was there and where exactly 